Welcome to Pastor's Class, a Bible study program brought to you by Tim Say Ministries and Crossover Church. We pray this podcast will help enrich and strengthen your walk with Jesus Christ, and that it will lead you to read and study the scriptures more often. For more information about Tim Say Ministries and Crossover Church, please visit www.crossoverchurch.tv or give us a call at 301-927-5620. Last week, um, we started a series entitled God and His Word, and, and last week we dealt with the topic, God Honors His Word. Well, this week we want to go a little further, and we want to touch on the fact that God honors His Word in your prayers. Um, one of the things, just as we go forth on this topic, to, to take into consideration is that the word normally comes in three different uh, uh, manifestations. There's the spoken word, then there's the written word, then there's the personified, personified word, which is Jesus, him, and the Christ crucified. And the one thing that you can always count on is that God is a God of his word. If God says it, he's going to bring it to pass. So here's the thing, anything that you read in the word of God, anything that God speaks and that God says and he puts his stamp of approval on, you can be sure that God is going to bring it to pass. I'll tell you why that's so encouraging. That's encouraging to me because literally everything in this world today seems so relative. You know, there are no absolute values. Values, you know, it's just like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. We'll do this if this is what you want. We'll do this if that's what you want. But the reality is God God has established a standard, and that standard brings you and I to the place of life and prosperity. And I love the fact that God has defined a man as a man. I love the fact that God has defined a woman as a woman. I love the fact that God says, trust in me, walk with me, work with me. I love the fact that God says that if you would only Trust in me, surely I will perform and do all that I've said that I can do. I mean, I love the fact that I can lean and I can trust on him. When it gets to the fact that everything is relative and and you can't believe in this and you can't believe in that and it changes today and it changes tomorrow, my God, what standard do we have to live by if that's our standard of living? But I guarantee you, today, this year, tomorrow, yesterday is a day of the word, a year of the word, a month of the word. And I choose, I choose to honor him and his word at all times because I know if I declare God's word over my life, in my life, no matter whether I'm coming or I'm going, he is faithful to perform that thing. And so um, one of the base scriptures that we're going to use tonight, and I'm going to read that to you real quick. Turn with me to John, the 16th chapter, and we're going to come down to the 26th verse. And when you get there, say amen, please. Glory be to the Father. (laughs) And uh, and to the Son, I heard that. (laughs) And in this scripture, it's so funny, this is Jesus talking, and he's talking to his disciples And I love this. He says, in that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believe that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world again. I leave the world and I go to the Father. In that day, you will ask the Father in my name, in Jesus' name, and I do not say that to you that I shall pray the Father for you, but the Father himself loves you. First, as we move into this area of God honors his word in your prayers, we just have to establish the fact that, listen, God loves you. He loves you. And it's really amazing because Jesus begins to point this out. He said, you know what? There's coming a day when you're going to ask 
in my name. Now, up until this time, the disciples had only seen Jesus and they had only known Jesus. As a matter of fact, there have been a couple occasions when they said, show us the Father and then we'll believe you. But it's amazing how Jesus flips the script on them and he does something. He personifies and he personalizes the Father in their eyes so that they would know that the Father loves them and he is invested in them. It's not as though Jesus just came on his own and he loves them and the Father sits back as some stern judge willing to accuse and assign and a discipline, but he's letting them know the Father and I are one and the Father loves you. And because you believe in he whom the Father who has sent, which is the personified word of God, I just want to let you know that when you entreat the Father, and you ask in my name, he is going to speak to you because he loves you. So let's just establish that God loves you. The reason we have to establish that, because I found sometimes it is very hard to go and ask someone for something when you need something. If you're not sure of their disposition toward you and how they feel about you, sometimes it's so much easier to be concerned and come to someone and ask them for something when you're in a vulnerable place, when you know what their disposition is toward you. Up until this time, they knew not the father as a caring, loving father. They knew him as a judge who was far removed. But Jesus came and brought him nigh and introduced him as loving, eternal father who cares and loves you in spite of it all. Now, I tell you what's so awesome. That goes against the whole dynamic of what fatherhood looked like in those days and in these days, too. Because in those days, the fathers, a lot of time, they were very hard men. They didn't show a lot of affection. They demeaned the women. The children were seen for their pleasure. In this day, a lot of the times, the father is far removed. He's not involved in the care of the children. The mother is carrying the full load. But here he comes in and he switches the whole thing. He turns it all around. And it's like he's introducing, you've heard of the term father, but now let me show you what a father really is. And he begins to set the standard and show them that God the Father loves you. And see, I'm sure it wasn't a concern or it wasn't strange for them to know that mother loves because mother cares. She sets you on your knee. She bandages up your boo-boo. But Father is just as invested in you, and he loves you so much. Now, I'll tell you why that's so important today. Because in our culture today, in some instances, largely, the father has been literally removed from the household. And sometimes he's just a paycheck or someone who does stuff to keep the household running. But now we see father in a whole nother connect and a whole other dynamic. And even if you never knew your biological father, there is a heavenly father who cares and loves you in spite of it all. And even if you knew your father and the relationship wasn't what you thought it would should be, he is a heavenly father even now setting the standard for how your father should be towards you, but how you should be unto your father. My God, my God, I tell you, that's why I got to stay in this word. That's why I got to keep loving the God that I love, because just when I think I've gotten to the place called ending, there's a brand new beginning, a brand new door, a brand new revelation, a brand new something that God is showing me that encourages me. And I tell you, it's really amazing that a man here who is not a father can speak on the heart of a father. And you've got to know that comes from God, because I don't know the first thing about a father. I've never sired a child. I've only read the word. I've only been around fathers. But my God, look what our God can do. Hallelujah. And if I'm not hindered 
because I'm not a father, then you can't be hindered because your father, earthly father, is not everything that you thought he should be. And that should not hinder you in your relationship with God. Put your hands together because God is good. We're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. We are going somewhere. Last week, we touched on the fact that uh, are you at home in God's word and his, is his word at home in you? And, and we looked at a, a scripture, John 15 and 7, and very simply, it just says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. And I said, my God, that's so powerful if you abide in my word, and my word abides in you. You shall ask what you will in my name, and it shall be done. And the first thing I thought about, I said, Lord, I thank you. I can take you at your word. What you promise, what you say, what you infer, it will certainly come to pass. You don't promise me things, dangle things in front of me, and then when I come up to you, pull back a little bit and say, okay, I, I can't do it right now, but just come back just a little bit more. And you don't, you don't do that to me. You don't set me up to be discouraged. You set me up to grow up. You set me up to mature so that I will know that when I speak the word of God, when I engage the word of God, when I pray the word of God, when I live the word of God, when I act out the word of God, and God recognizes that in my life because he's looking all over the earth just looking for his word so he can agree with it, he says, that's mine, and he begins to perform miracles and awesome things in my life that helps me to be and to mature into the man that he has called me to be. Psalm 119 and 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against me. In other words, that word has become so much a part of me that it just, it just oozes out of me. It just oozes. And you know what? I love it when you and I are full of word. Because when you and I are full of word, that means leaves less room for other stuff, you know. <laughs> you know, how many of you know, guys know and ladies know that life just happens? And, and sometimes you find yourself in this place where the, I call them the accidents of life happen. And it seemed like all this stuff is merging and converging and coming on you all at the same time. Now, you know some word, and you got a little hold on, on what God has required of you, but then stuff just started happening. You having these accidents, and you bumping into stuff, and you nicking into stuff, and you scraping into stuff, and you bouncing and bopping and looking and locking and uh, ah, ah. But the awesome part is that as you face all of that through life, and as you get nicked and cut and you're bleeding, you're bleeding word, grace, and mercy. See, because if word is in you, word has got to come out of you. So in your circumstance and situation, no matter what's happening, no matter what's going in in the household, no matter what's happening with your parents, no matter what's happening with your children, even on your job, you're able to proclaim and trust in the absolute word of God and what he says about your situation and circumstances. So you don't have to be undone, even though things aren't perfect. Now, can I just say this? And I saw this today, and I was like, wow, this is awesome. Stop comparing the worst moment in your life to the best moment in somebody else's life. <laughs> Stop comparing the worst moment in your life to the best moment in somebody else's life. And what am I saying? 
Because sometimes when we're going through a situation and we're facing a hard place, the first thing we say, wow, so-and-so didn't have to deal with this. Why, I have to, why this have to happen to me? But the reality are, you're just seeing one moment in a lifetime. It's like a snapshot. It's not their whole life. And so the reality is, when you start comparing your worst moment to their best moment, you begin to covet what they have, and you begin to abort what God has for you. How about that? You begin to leave behind the precious, unique thing that God has for you because you think in that space, in that place, where they are, they've got it made. But the ultimate reality, chances are, if you switch the day and you let the carousel go around one time, they'll be at their worst moment and you'll be at their best moment. And then you'll have to encourage them. And then you'll have to let them know that you've seen worse days and you've seen better days, but that God is still faithful. Amen? Amen. As we look at this thing called the word, and I just want to throw this out there, there, there is no revelation of the knowledge of God unless he reveals it. There is nothing that we could do where we can, quote unquote, discover God. And I have to throw that out there because a lot of times we use the wrong terms. Like we say Christopher Columbus discovered America. He didn't discover America. He just stumbled on to what was already there. And so a lot of times when God reveals a new truth to us, it is not as though we're discovering something in our own strength and of our own merit. It's because God is pursuing us to reveal his purpose and plan to us because he desires to be known. A man can boast in many things, but it pleases God when a man boasts in the fact that he knows God and he has responded to the invitation of God. There's three particular revelations that I want to point out tonight as we look at God revealing his word and his purpose and his plan to us. There is general revelation, and that's when God reveals himself through nature, humanity, and history. There is subordinate revelation. That's when God reveals himself to those who are in the Christian community. This revelation is secondary and subordinate to the final area of revelation. Let me just pause there just for one quick moment. I'm just going to throw this out there. There is nothing wrong with God illuminating you, giving you a word based on his word. Based on his word. Be careful when you find yourself always having to have a word, to speak a word, when you haven't been in the word. How can you know the heart and the mind of God if you have not been in this special book of Revelation? See, and I tell you, Yes, there are times when God does give us special insight and things of that nature by the Holy Spirit, but it's coming through a vessel that's tainted by all that we're tainted with. And just like a water that comes through a conduit, a pipe, whatever is in that pipe is going to come and taint that water. And so you've got to be careful when you speak a word, quote unquote, that God gave you to someone, you've got to make sure that you have number one, pure motives and pure methods. And number two, you have to make sure that you have been a student of his word so that you can check that word against the word to make sure that you are helping someone to mature and grow up, not to look at you as special. You hear what I'm saying? It's not about you or I looking special. It's about us helping the body to grow up. It's for the perfecting of the saints and for the work of the ministry if a word comes forth. And we can't take that lightly because some people hang 
on words and signs and wonders. But let me tell you something, and I'm just going to say this. We don't have to follow signs and wonders. Signs and wonders follow us as we obey God and as we study his word. And so if you feel you need a word, you don't have to get in a $5 prayer line, a $10 prayer line, a $12 prayer line. You don't have to fly across the country to see nobody. You get yourself this word. You get down on your face. You take some quiet time and you say, God, I want to know you like you want me to be known by you. And won't he do it? Watch him do it. Watch him do it. And that's what this thing is all about, the word. Now, when we look at the word, we say that God honors his word in your prayers. There's just a few definitions I'm going to throw at you real quick. God bless you. And they should be on the back, so that's good. Honor means to hold in respect, to revere. Word a unit of language consisting of one or more spoken sounds or their written representation that functions as a principal carrier of an intended meaning of revelation. The word of God, the manifestation slash revelation of the mind, heart, and will of God, be it spoken, written, or personified. This is more than just nouns, pronouns, verbs, adjectives, syllables, and a string of text. This is literally the heart and mind of a true and holy God. Then there's the word logos. That's a Greek term that refers to the written word of God. There's rhema. That's a Greek term that refers to God-given insight of the scriptures and via the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then there's prayer. Prayer is the belief or act that God is sovereign and may be petitioned to intervene and affect changes in nature and in the course of world events. Prayer is when we petition God to make changes to do that which is so beyond you and I. Prayer is like us petitioning God to do what we cannot and can never, ever do for ourselves. Listen to this. Prayer presupposes, one, belief in God. Two, trust in his ability and willingness to communicate with us. And three, prayer supposes his sovereignty in all things, all of his creatures and all of their actions. When we go to Genesis 1, and I love this, this, this is probably just, it's, it's, it's a very simple scripture, but I love it. Genesis 1 and 1. And listen to this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Boom. Done. <laughs> God is sovereign. And so if God speaks a word, if God writes a word, if he sends his son cloaked in flesh, and that's the word, I can count that his word will agree at all times and all seasons. Not only that, because he is sovereign and because he spoke and the world came into being, I know that he can speak into my life, and if I'm dying, life will rise up in me. I recognize that he is sovereign God because the very issuance of all that comes from him is true. And whatever comes from him, I can count on forever and ever and ever and ever. Now, here's the thing. Because God is sovereign, because he is great, because he is Lord, because he did it all, I can invest my last in God and my last becomes my most. Do you get what I'm saying? Because he is sovereign, because he is great, because he is the restorer and the giver of life, what may seem like my last can become my most because in him it's multiplied and magnified to be all that I need and my cup shall literally run over. Can I tell you this? Sometimes when life throws a lot of things at you, you've got to be in the heart and the set mind and say, you know what? 
There's a lot happening in my world. But this isn't all of my world. God is the whole and the sum total of my world. All these other things that God has allowed to pass through my hands, I'm a steward of those things, but that is not my world. They are not the sum total of who I am. And so what I've got to do is that no matter what's happening in my world, I've got to seek him first, knowing that he is sovereign and that he is great. There is no other way, no other God, no other love that can carry me like God's way, like God's love. There are a lot of things that we give honor and worship to that can't even give us the breath of life. So many things, so many things that we honor and we cherish and we esteem and we say, you know what? I don't exalt those things before God, but in the juxtaposition of our everyday life, the way we balance and get things situated and move things around so that we can do what we want to do instead of doing what God wants us to do, in that case and in that circumstance, in that situation, those things have become a God in our mind, even if they can't do anything for us. Let me tell you about four essential elements of prayer. There are four things about prayer that we're going to cover tonight, and I love it, and they're rooted in Hebrews 11.6. So I'm going to read Hebrews 11.6 for you real quick, and then we're going to break it down. And even though the context of this scripture is about coming to God, not in the same context as prayer, you could still use it there because there's a principle of truth there. And let me encourage you. You may not be able to find verbatim what you want the word to say in your life, but you can always find a principle of God's truth to live your life by to make sure that you stay in the will of God. Hebrews 11:6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The first essential element of faith, of prayer, is that you must have faith. Faith must have an object, and the proper object of genuine faith is God. You know, there are a lot of things that, that we believe in. But just because we believe in something does not mean it needs to be elevated to the level of deity because there's only one divine deity, and that's God. Turn with me to John, the sixth chapter. And when you get to the sixth chapter, come down to verse 28. And when you get to 28, say amen. Amen. Glory be to the Father. And, and listen to this. I love this. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Isn't that something? What may we do to work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he sent. Let me just encourage you. There is nothing that we could do with our hands that's not married to all of what we believe in our heart. And if what we do with our hands is not justified and linked accordingly in syncopation with the belief in our heart, then it could never be considered a work of God. The initial work of God is that you and I would believe that he is 
and that he is a diligent rewarder of those who seek him. We must believe. Can I say this? If you don't believe that he is, that he has the answer for whatever is going on in your life, you're going to find it challenging to come to him in the first place. Sometimes I have to ask myself, because this is, this is something that, that challenges us as believers, why is it sometimes that believers, we find ourselves in that place sometimes when it's hard to pray? It should never be hard for you and I to pray, knowing what we know, being endowed with the Holy Spirit that we have. Is something going on with what we believe about God and how he will respond to us? The reality is God is not moved by our imperfection because he wasn't dependent on our perfection in the first way when he came to us. He came to us and we were in great need. There was nothing that you and I could do for ourselves, and yet God stood there saying, you know what? I love you. I'm sending my son for you. I have a purpose and a plan for you. I want you to represent me in the earth. And there is nothing that you can do or I can do that would change God's disposition towards us. Turn with me real quick to 2 Timothy 3.16, a familiar passage. And when you get to 3.16, say amen. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's that word work, for every good work. Now, of course, you know, there are these works that we do with our hands, but you know the best work and the initial work and the primary work that you and I have to do, we have to believe that his word is true. It's only when we believe that his word is true that then we can move out and our hands and our feet start to do things that are in sync with what we believe about his word. When you, are, you and I are in that place, when we're believing in our heart and we're moving with our hands and our feet and it marries up with the purpose and plan and the will of God, you've got to know that in that place, God places his seal of approval on your life and he says, that's what I'm looking for. And God begins to honor that and he begins to say more and more, and he adds to you and releases you in other areas so that you can bless other folks and so that you can be an example in the earth. Let me tell you, we are not called. We are not called just to sing, shout, and have a good time in this local assembly. We are called so that we can model him in the earth introduce others to the truth of God and then counsel them regarding the awesomeness of who our God is. Sometimes he's like, I don't know if I'm good at evangelism. Yeah, just tell your story. All you've got to do is say, this is where I was. This is what God has done. Let me tell you what his word says. Effectively, you have witnessed. You have shared your story. There are folks who are looking at you who are more impacted by you than you really know. You would think, oh, nobody's paying attention to me. I don't matter. Not so. There are folks who wish that they could be where you are. 
Never take that for granted. Never take for granted that the fact that you are a possessor, a possessor of the Holy Spirit of God. Never take for granted that the glory of God rests in your life. Never take for granted that there is a light that shines in you. And even if you can't see it, just like on the day of Pentecost, when they were in that place in the upper room, they couldn't see the fire on top of their head, but others could. Never doubt the fact that there's a glory of God shining through you and there's a difference that needs to be made in this earth by you and I. And listen to this. If we don't do it, who's going to do it? We're the ones that know God. If we don't preach the word, who's going to preach the word? We're the ones who have experienced the love of God. If we don't provide an example of holiness, who's going to provide an example of holiness? We're the ones who say that we know. Saints, now is the time to speak out like never before. Grow up. Live on the outside. All that God is speaking in your heart, all that God is doing in your life, now is the time for manifested, glorious living. Now is the time. Now is the time. Time really is winding up. It really is winding up. But listen. We've got a word and we've got a life and we've got a God who walks with us and works with us. So if he's walking with us and he's working with us, it's not a hard thing for me to go to him in prayer and petition him and say, God, this is what I need. And I believe you're on my side. Yeah. Number two, you must believe that he is and that he is it. He is, not only must you believe that he is, but he is it, the end all, be all. Sometimes we believe that God is, but sometimes I don't believe we give him all the honor and glory that he is due. We just put him in the stuff, but he's way above the stuff. He is sovereign God. You know, in the Old Testament, because it wasn't, Un unheard of where they had all these other gods and, and they would do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and then they had the moon god and then they had this idol and they had that idol. But I love there was an occasion in the Old Testament when they brought the ark of the tabernacle in there and all the other gods just kind of fell down. <laughs> they had to bow down because they weren't on the same level as our god. And I think you and I, we've got to make sure that we remind ourselves there's nobody like our God. See, we get all convoluted with the challenges of the day, the responsibilities of the day, and we forget to keep looking up and living. Don't stop. Do you know that the biggest thing the enemy wants to do is to distract you? from looking and engaging God, because when he can distract you from looking and engaging God, you're looking at your circumstances. And next thing you know, you're going to find yourself under your circumstances. And then you're going to be, God, I'm under this place. I don't know how I got there. And God's going to say, I never ordained for you to be under there. I don't know how you got there either. <laughs> Not at all. Number three. You must know that he has given us an invitation to come to him and that he expects us to come. God wants us to come. You know what? We didn't come to God because it was our idea. We came to God because he extended the invitation. Turn with me real quick to Isaiah 1. And when you get to 1, come down to verse 18 real quick. And I love this because... Even in, in this, this particular passage, it concerns Judah, tribe of Judah, and it was just so awesome, even in a rebellious place. This is what God says to his people. Not heathens, his people. He says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We've got to know that God has given us an invitation to come to him in prayer. And we've got to go. We've got to go. Scripture says, call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things. God 
wants us to come to him. He's dying to sit down and talk to us. He wants to fellowship with us. He wants us to engage him. He wants to be known to him. Have you ever gone to a social function and uh, you didn't know too many people and so you know how they have assigned seating and, and you're there and, and you got this smile on your face and you're like, I don't know anybody. Somebody talk to me. And, and, and nobody seems to talk to you. And, and all of a sudden, you start to feel put out. You know, you're just like, wow, they invited me here, but nobody's engaging me. When God gives us an invitation to prayer and we won't take him up, that's what we're doing to God. We're like kind of stiff on him. Oh, yeah. Hey, God, I'll see you. All right, get with you later. You know? And I'm like, wow, the one that we love and the one that loves us. And you know, prayer isn't deep. It just has to be authentic and sincere. Authentic and sincere. I know one of my simplest and greatest prayers that I've ever prayed in my life. I mean, this was a doozy. I was just like, yes. This is like the Academy Award prayer of all prayers in my life. And I was like, I know God heard me. You know what it was? help and a few tears. <laughs> I was so messed up. I was crying. All I could do was say, God, help. But do you know he met? And it wasn't because of these vain words that I was using. It wasn't because I was stringing texts together and it was sounding so great. No, it was because I was pouring out of the depths of my heart and I was trying to reach and get to know his heart. And I knew he cared. I knew he cared, and that's something. See, I was fully persuaded that he cared, and because I knew he cared, it wasn't hard for me, for me to go to him at that particular stage and place in my life, which was a low of low. You see what I'm saying? I'm telling, and so because I knew he cared and I could go to him in the low of low, it wasn't a hard thing for me to go to him in the high of high when everything is just fine. When everything is right, I could go to him even then. Finally, number four, the fourth element of prayer is that you must trust that his desire is to reward you. That's the ultimate reality. You know, God wants to reward you. He wants to set you up to succeed. God is the kind of God that will not promise you something and dangle it in front of you and then remove it. If he says it, he's going to do it. Now, the will of God, purpose for our lives, and the word of God spoken into our lives are synonymous. And it's so awesome because the will of God and the word of God will never contradict each other. They are one. There is a prototype for prayer that, that Jesus gave us in Matthew 6. And what I want to do is look at that real quick. And we're going to look at how does God honor his word and his will in our prayers. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew 6. And this prayer is what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. And when you get to chapter 6, come down to verse 9, please. And I love this. And keep in mind, we're looking at how does God honor his word slash his will in our prayers. And verse 9 starts off this way. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first thing is that we know that he's our Father, not somebody else's Father, but our Father, who is deeply invested in us. And then scripture says, holy is his name. So his name is holy, huh? Holy Father, Father holy. His name is holy. Well, if he's my Father, and he cares for me, and generally children take their last name after their father, then holy is my last name. So now I have to allow my character 
to catch up with my status in God. How does God honor his word slash will in our prayers? As it pertains to verse 9, as we acknowledge and address him for who he is, he reminds us even in the tight spots of life that God's got it. God's got it. If he's my father and holy in his name, as I apply that principle in my prayer, I realize that no matter what happens, because he's holy and he means me well, and he has set me apart for himself, and he is my father, then I know he's going to cause all things to work together for my good, even if it doesn't look like it. Even if I don't understand the way things are unfolding in my life. He reminds us even in the tight spots of life that God's got it. Say that, God's got it. God's got it. Whatever's going on in my life, God's got it. Verse number 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we declare his heavenly rightness on the earth, he not only strengthens us to live right, but to grant us the grace to introduce and counsel others into right living. We are instruments of his kingdom coming on the earth. As his kingdom reigns sovereign in your life and in my life, and as I pray, and that principle of his kingdom coming to be is in my prayer. In other words, I want to see the manifestation of God on the earth that's in the heavens. And I realize that I am an agent of God to bring about that change in the earth. Then as I pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that I begin to release righteousness in my life. And I'm saying, God, in the name of Jesus, cause my life to confirm to your right righteousness. No matter what I ask you, I'm offering this up as an offering. But if this is not a part of your righteous, right plan for my life, then cause this thing to twist and turn till it conforms to what you want me to be. In other words, it's all about me bringing your glory, your honor through me to the earth. I want to be an instrument, an agent of change in the earth. Verse number 11, give us this day our daily bread. As we look to him for our daily nourishment and strength, he exceeds the request by supplying our need in an exceeding and abundant manner. Literally, he causes our cup to run over now, how many of you guys know that when we say daily bread, there is so much in our life that God has given us on a daily basis? Now, a lot of times, some of us, we eat three times a day, but Scripture's just saying daily come to him. But how many of you guys know that this is not a prohibition that you can only come to him once a day? Literally, you come to God as many times as it crosses across your mind. I need your strength. I need your sustenance. I need you to give me all of you. I remember I was walking down the street. Not too long ago, I do a lot of walking. Let me just say this. Last week, I shared with you guys how I walked down the street. That's how God speaks to me. I walk. Even when I'm in the house, I'm walking around the dining room table, walking from the family room to the kitchen. And then when God says something, I try to sit down and write it down. And before it disappears, I get up and I have to walk again just to keep the channels open. That just, it just works for me that way. But I was walking down the street to work, and, and I was thinking about some desires and things that I had that still have not come to be yet. And I said, God, you know, I said, these are some things that I really desire and I really want. And, you know, I said, 
And sometimes it's hard when you have things that you want and it looks like time is getting away from you and it looks like things may not happen the way you quote unquote envisioned them to happen. And then it's like God said, but you know what? I'm always here for you. I've never left you. And what I realized is that in the midst of my needing, my wanting, there are just some things, some desires, that no matter what I encounter on this earth, it won't be enough until I see him face to face. There are just some things, give me wife, give me kids, give me money, give me cars, give me jar, jobs, give me relations, give, give me all those things. But none of those things, there's an aching in all of us that won't be satisfied until we see him face to face. And so when I'm asking God for my daily bread, I'm saying, God, I need strength to make it right here, right where I am, with what you purposed for, not for me. Not necessarily what I wanted to be or what I've dreamed and, and I desire it to be, but what I want it to be. Um, real quick, um, I think you can look at the verses and see the other points, but the one thing I just wanna let you know before I close out tonight, is that God and his sovereign authority, he honors his word. I'm not saying when you pray, you have to repeat each and every word verbatim in this scripture or this passage. What I am saying there's a principle of truth there pertaining to the will of God. Take time, study his word, allow his spirit to illuminate that principle of truth, then watch him cause it to blow up in your life and watch your life grow up and mature in him. God honors his word in your prayer. And I guarantee you, you won't leave without having what you need. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to Pastor's Class. We hope you enjoyed this program. For more messages and Bible study teachings, please visit www.crossoverchurch.tv or give us a call at 301-927-5620. If you live in the D.C., Maryland, or Virginia area, come visit us at our home location, 5340 Baltimore Avenue, Hyattsville, Maryland, 20781. Pastors Class is a weekly Bible study that occurs Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. at our home location. We would love for you to join us. May God bless you and guide you as you continue to study to show thyself approved in the grace of Christ Jesus.